No man in our contemporary American running scene is more recognizable than our guest this week, Craig Ingalls. Your friends with only a superficial awareness of track and field may simply know him as that miler with the mullet and the mustache. But Craig is so much more. Olympic medal threat, your foremost guide to road tripping across America, and, as I learned in our conversation, ethnic buffet connoisseur. Craig joined us this week via Zoom for a light-hearted yet insightful conversation. We hope you enjoy his infectious personality and openness. Now here's 2019 USA 1500-meter champion Craig Ingalls and mile 55 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Craig Ingalls, welcome into the show. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for uh, having me on your ep- on an episode. Well, thank you for joining us. We're we're really excited to have you. We got some questions from fans coming up for you. Everybody's fired up to bring Craig Ingalls back to the Carolinas here on Seconds Flat. <laughs> yeah, man. If we if we hosted more races in North Carolina, I'd be there more often. But I hear you. So tell me. What is life and training like right now for an Olympic hopeful when the summer games are postponed for a year? Um, it's a lot more fun uh, <laughs> and easy going. <laughs> I mean, without the pressure of races and everything, I'm allowed to do my tr- whatever traveling I want. And um, just as long as I get my training in and know that I'm doing well for myself, then that's all my coach really cares about. So speaking of the traveling, I've seen a little bit of the stuff you've been putting out on social media. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing for the past few weeks, man. Yeah. Um, yeah so right when this the whole coronavirus thing happened, I went to Nashville, Tennessee. My buddy from Ole Miss has 10 acres right outside the city. So I flew there and um, maybe after a couple of weeks, I drove to North Carolina. I rented a car, drove to North Carolina, bought and an old sprinter van, a Mercedes sprinter van. And then for the next few weeks, me and my buddy Ryan Manahan converted it into an RV. Uh, And then I spent the last 10 days driving all the way back to Portland. All right. So I got all kinds of thoughts, questions to ask about that, Craig. First, this is not your first RV life experience, right? Tell us a little more. It's not even, it's not my second. It's not (laughs) my third. (laughs) I think I've owned like uh, I think 20 vehicles now since I was 16, but this uh, this is the third official RV and then fifth van. <laughs> um, I don't know why I just have this obsession with like living on the road and living as simply as possible. No, I get that. That's really neat. What is your favorite RV van road life experience you've ever had? Man, okay, so I was driving to my buddy's wedding in Phoenix, Arizona. And I just stopped in the desert, in the middle of a random desert. Uh, and I have a 1984 Toyota Dolphin RV. So there's not that many of them on the road. Uh, and I'm, I'm driving down this sketchy road and there's all these huge cactuses next to me. And I'm like, dang, I just, I just want to park next to one of those and sleep there. And all of a sudden, the exact same RV I have starts coming down the same road that I'm driving down. And it was just bizarre where I was like, this is weird. 
So uh, I ended up parking. This was pre-coronavirus times. I ended up parking, going over and talking to them. And it was just this older couple who was probably 70 or 75. Um, and we became like really good friends that I made them dinner. Uh, and they text me every once in a while asking if I've made the Olympics yet. Um, <laughs> but it was just so cool because we just had the same exact RV and camp next to each other. And now I have these 70 year old friends that live all over the country. <laughs> Craig, that is an amazing story, man. What did you say? It was an 84 dolphin, that, the RV that you had? <laughs> yeah. So like, I mean, <laughs> at first I'm like, oh, well, they're here to kill me. And now I'm like, they were some of my best friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was your high point of this drive back across the country, this 10 days that you just did? Favorite thing you saw? Mm, I had a great time in San Francisco. Um, it was such a weird time right now because every state you're in has different laws and everyone is watching different news stories. So it's really weird feeling out the vibe of each place first. Um, so Tennessee was just completely lawless. Like maybe a month ago, they opened up their bars and like old people were socializing at the bars. Uh, and like, I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't take part in any of that. We just went and picked up food one time and saw all of them. But uh, San Francisco, they had, we went to this park and it was packed, but everyone had a six foot circle they had to stay in and it was pretty funny. <laughs> let's, let's go to track for a minute, but gosh, I just, I could talk to you about RV life all day, but I don't think that's why people are listening. So <laughs> let's flash back, you know, we just mentioned Tokyo is postponed to 2021. 2016, you are one spot away from the making the Olympic team out of Ole Miss. Ugh. describe the emotions of that experience and then how it shaped your running from then through now <laughs> I think at the time I was so stoked like never been more excited in my life I, I think I almost cried um, that I got fourth and then I got fifth in the 1500 in the same trials and it didn't really set until like weeks maybe months later where I was like I almost made the Olympics I'm like why am I so stoked I didn't even make the, like, I don't know. It was crazy where it finally set in. And then that, I think that like formed my seriousness into running where I'm like, man, if I take it seriously, then um, I could make the Olympics next time. So on that note, what's the immediate gut reaction when you find out Tokyo is getting postponed and it's now a five year wait rather than four? <laughs> I'm unbothered. Uh, I'm going to make the team either way. <laughs> oh, I love that answer. Um, are you willing to reveal is, uh, are both the 800 and 1500 meters in your plans for the trials next year? Um, they were definitely, it was definitely in the talks to do both, but, um, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be hard. I wish the 1500 was first so that I could do both, but I, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It'll be a game time decision. All right. We'll leave us hanging for another year here. <laughs> see what you do in, in Eugene and then Tokyo. Uh, you're a Carolina guy, born and bred. Yes, sir. Why Ole Miss? So, um, I, a lot, maybe a lot of listeners don't know, but I actually went to North Carolina State for two and a half years. Right. Uh, right outside, right after college. Um, and it wasn't the right fit for me. I, I wasn't successful. I kept getting hurt, and I wasn't, like, that happy there. So I ended up – I was going to quit and go to Appalachian State and just enjoy the rest of college like a normal student, you know. But um, <clears throat> my high school coach, thankfully, was still mentoring me and still in my life. And 
he's like, hey, I have a buddy who's the coach down at Ole Miss. He's going to give you one more chance if you want to take it. Um, if you just if you don't like it after a semester, you can leave and do whatever you're going to do, but just give it one more shot. And from there, it, it worked out into professional career, which is crazy. Yeah, so first, I got a bunch of buddies who are App State grads who are probably thinking, man, I could have just been hanging out with Craig Ingalls on campus. But you go to Ole Miss, and what's the impact then of – Ryan Van Oy on your life. You just talked about the coach that brought you to Oxford, Mississippi. How did he help change that path where you maybe you weren't successful, maybe you weren't happy, healthy? What happened to flip the switch in Oxford? Yeah, so he was just young. I think he was only three or four years older than me. So he understood me and that maybe I'm a little bit different than other athletes where my coach at NC State was seemed, what seemed like 90 years old. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't think he really got like what or what was going on in my head and everything. So uh, it, was just a, it was just good where we clicked. And that's all you need with your coach is like a relationship where you guys get along. You don't have to get along at all points. Like obviously me and him fought a lot. But when it came down to training and running fast, we both wanted the same, we had the same goals. That's a beautiful insight and in that the coach's job is to push you off and to do things you might not otherwise want to do, but you have to have that mutual respect and the relationship and communication to know that that person cares about you. You leave Ole Miss and go Nike Oregon Project. And what, what drew you to that? What about Coach Pete Julian? Why did that feel like it could be a continuation of the success you had in college? Yeah. Uh, my. I, I remember I would talk to my agents, I talked to my parents, I talked to Van Hoy, my high school coach, and everyone was saying, hey, why don't you go train with the reigning Olympic champion who's American yeah. uh, and go, just move out to Oregon, have the best resources, have the best coach and, and everything. So I said, okay. <laughs> and I went out there and Pete Julian is, is really similar to my high school and, and my high school coach and Ryan Van Hoy where he gives me freedom. So... I've really enjoyed being coached by him and then having like my strength coach, my massage therapist, everything out here. It's, it's just so many resources that I never had. And uh, it's hard not to be successful when you're in this environment. How's the breakup of that team affected you? And, and what's the trajectory for a new group with Coach Julian? Uh, the breakup didn't affect us at all because, uh, well, I mean, I wanted to join the group only with the, the caveat that Pete Julian was my coach and I wasn't associated with anything that had happened in the past. So uh, nothing's changed for us besides the fact that we just don't wear a skull on our jersey anymore. Um, and in the future, hopefully we can make a group and have a name and everything. How much of that skull merchandise do you have laying around that you're going to sell on eBay someday? <laughs> uh, uh, quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know some people who'd be interested. Uh, can, can you tell us about just maybe a typical training week for you, what that looks like? Yeah, so I run six days a week. I take Saturdays off. I do two workouts a week on Tuesday and Friday, and then I do a long run on Sundays. Uh, the rest of the days are just some form of 10 to 12 miles. So some, sometimes I'll run five in the morning six in the afternoon you know stuff like that but yeah two hard workouts on tuesday and friday you got a favorite workout you'd share with us 
Uh, I don't, <laughs> I really like it. I like doing five, 500, 300, 200 um, times like four or five. So that's like such a miler workout. Yeah. But my favorite, my favorite runs are long runs. I, I love ripping a long run, like say 14 miles at 520 to 530 pace. How does that compare to what you normally do pace-wise on an easy day? Oh, easy days are super easy. And that's what's kept me healthy since NC State. Uh, I, I always got hurt there because we would try and push the pace and go six-minute pace on pavement. But now uh, I'll run seven to eight-minute pace if I feel like it, you know? Yeah, so it's more just about how you feel that day? Exactly. Now, you're saying that – I think this is a great piece of advice for everybody because you're saying that as a, a sub-four-miler. So what seven to eight minutes feels like to you, for us average guys, it could be significantly slower than that if that's, I guess, the effort that feels right for the day. Yeah, I mean, that's like the secret to it all is just taking easy days easy. Like, it would be – I could definitely – run fast every day but i'm the odds are i'm gonna get hurt <laughs> for sure when when you do that five three two breakdown that you talk about break down that k for people who are maybe less familiar with with miler workouts what is pacing looking like what is recovery in between looking like both in between the reps and in, in the sets can you give us a little more detail i don't want to steal all the secrets here but if you can share a little bit for for folks <laughs> Uh, it's it's always different. Um, Pete's really good about knowing what time of the season to do different different paces. But I think typically if we do a 500, 300, 200, then the 500 is at your mile pace, the 300 is your 800 pace, and then the 200 is at your 400 pace. And obviously you want to – like I want my mile pace to be at three sub 350. So we'll probably hit – we'll go through the 400 in about 57. But then um, typically we do the next rep jog on a workout like that. Yeah, okay. When you were in high school, you know, what, 404 high school miler somewhere in that neighborhood? A little bit quicker, a little bit quicker. Uh, I'm sorry, I undersold you. Can, can you give me the, to the hundredth here what that was? No, I, I never know the hundredths of any of my PRs, but it's 403 point something. Okay. I apologize. That's on me. I need to be more prepared <laughs> next time. Craig, I, you know what? I, I should know that, but I got all wrapped up because I found a biography of you that says you were in Earth Club in high school. And that's really what I started getting focused on. What does that even mean? <laughs> Basically, Earth Club was we would meet once a month and order pizza. And that's about all we did. <laughs> it was just for like resume building. Uh, I don't really know. Like they just said, Hey, this would be great to join. And, and I actually really care about the environment. Like my major was renewable energy and everything. So I think I joined thinking like, Oh, this would be good for my major, but we really didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, sure. It sounds good. And I want to join for the pizza. Um, but it, <laughs> it kind of, it struck me because, you know, knowing that you've been traveling in an RV earth club seemed like it was something that would fit you. I'm, I'm a little disappointed that it wasn't more serious, but uh, <laughs> anyway, back to 403 point high school miler. If you could step back to that kid at that time in your life and, and I'm sure you've matured and, and transformed in a lot of ways since then. Um, one, did you see yourself? Did you envision talking about sub 350 mile in the future? 
And two, what advice might you give to the younger version of Craig Ingalls uh, maybe a decade ago? <laughs> my, my, I guess my biggest piece of advice was, would be if you're good at a different sport, try that one. <laughs> no, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's super hard to make it in professional running. And honestly, I didn't even know it was a thing when I was in high school, nor did I care. But um, I just thought maybe running would take me to college where I could get it paid, college paid for. Because um, I, I don't know if I would have gone to college. I'm, I'm maybe, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was this thing that get me to college and paid for. So now it's just crazy that it's my job. But I mean, it's cool. <laughs> it's cool. But I, I would definitely give a younger, younger person just uh, just to keep it fun. Never make it anything more than fun. That's basically anything in life. Um, because I mean, now that it's my job, it's not as fun. Like it feels like I have these obligations and everything so it's way way cooler when you get to do it as like uh, not a hobby but like something out of that you love you know yeah well said I, I hope listeners are, are getting the realization that you're a pretty nuanced guy and there's more than than running to you if you weren't Craig Ingalls professional runner what would you be doing? What, what other passion would you be chasing other than maybe life on the road? <laughs> um, yeah, I, so I, I think about this all the time because it's going to happen one day. But um, I, I really wanted to get into renewable energy and work in like solar or wind. Um, and it's cool because my buddy that, is, that I was in high school with is now five years deep. That's how long ago I graduated college, I guess. Um, four years sorry four years deep into a renewable energy job and he's doing so well and making so much money and 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 doing stuff for the earth and I'm like man so much so much of me wishes that I could just quit running and and help the earth rather than what I don't know it seems like running is a pretty selfish sport but um, I don't know but now recently I've I got really into this van build and I really want to start building out vans for my my career (laughs) Well, it sounds like we got a second and third career lined up for you (laughs) already then. Yeah. All right, man. On to the hair. We got to go with what everybody wants to talk about. Everybody knows you for. I'm I'm looking at you now and you're pretty well trimmed up there. You look (laughs) handsome. But that mullet that the women love and all the men are jealous of, the mullet mustache combination. What was the inspiration? (laughs) <laughs> let's go back a tiny bit I'm, n- I'm not sure many women are into the mullet <laughs> no woman in my life has ever appreciated it including my mom my sister girlfriend ex-girlfriend um, I don't know man I just like being dumb and just, just being different so it was just funny one day I was like whatever I had really long hair like just cut it into a mullet <laughs> and I think it was meant to just be like you know when you're shaving your face and you like shave it into a handlebar mustache you're like man, this looks cool. And then that's what happened. And I just kept my mullet. Like I was going to keep cutting my hair, but I was like, oh, I kind of like it. Oh, man. I, you know what? The women don't know what they're missing. And if they don't appreciate it, I'll tell you right now, every high school track nerd in the country appreciates it for you, Craig. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> who styles that for you? Uh, I have my buddy. I've... <laughs> 
had my buddy Ryan Manahan cut it for me a few times. He, he's really good at it. I've cut it myself a few times, which was not the best move. And I think I've paid <laughs> to have it done one time. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, the pay to have it done is probably the best part of that right there. But your buddy Ryan, are we promoting him now? Are you plugging him as like mullet specialist? If somebody needs a cut, do we go to him? If you live in the, in the New York City area, you could go to him for a haircut. You just gotta, you gotta bring him something as a gift. He doesn't accept money, but he accepts gifts. Oh, that connection was just made. New York City listeners, hunt him down and bring a gift. <laughs> Are we gonna see it come back for 2021 championship season when you're on the track in Tokyo? Is it flowing? We'll see. Stay tuned. It, it gives you such an old school vibe. Is there a runner from the past that you would most like to race? Oh, I want to race some of those guys that were definitely doping. Like, <laughs> That's a I long list, Craig. I know, I know. So basically anyone in the 90s. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I'd love to just go back and just see what the what it was like in the 90s racing and stuff because it seems i watched those track meets on tv and it looks like they were packed and everyone cared about running back then so maybe um and maybe seb co or algarouge one of those two that's pretty good company so i'm, not, right I'm there. not calling them dirty but wink <laughs> <laughs> uh understood you you talked about how everyone it seemed at those races just the excitement the enthusiasm for the sport my first thought is we get a little taste of that every year at pre-classic, which of course is postponed, but new Hayward field pre-classic. Does that get you excited for what it's going to be like when running comes back here? Dude, I drove by Hayward field on my way back to Portland and it looks sick. It's beautiful. I, I saw some pictures. I mean, is it as legit as it looks in those photos? more <laughs> really if you're a track oh. fan if you care about the sport if you've ever run the sport and you get out there you'll get excited it's so cool anything we have in this country that compares to it i mean even a venue for another sport that you've been into that you thought wow this is just transcendent or is is hayward going next level here i don't know what i would compare it to like <laughs> i don't know what the coolest football stadium in america is but i don't think it compares to this uh, that's that is really exciting to think about our track trials there, but also world champs coming up there right after the Olympic year with that pushed back to the the focus we can put on the sport and on American athletes there. Uh, that's got to be exciting, too, for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be really, really cool. It, and it's going to be an exciting three years because we got Olympics, World Olympics. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps, Craig. I'm getting excited. <laughs> Am I going to jump the gun here and say in those, those three years, uh, can I book you for all three of those? Can I go Craig Ingalls said on Seconds Flat Podcast, Olympics, World Olympics, he's in the finals at all three? I better be. <laughs> oh, love it. I, be, I better be in those finals. Something, something will have gone wrong if I'm not there. Good, good. Quote it, confident man, we believe in you. We want to be rooting for you. You know what, actually, to go back to you, you mentioned Seb Coe and, and El Garouge. What, if you could get in that sort of fantasy race, 
is that an 800 or is that a mile or a 1500? What, what distance would you want to go with? Uh, probably a mile. Um, I mean, everyone knows a mile. Uh, but it's funny, once you, once you, like, if a random person asks you about what's your mile PR and you tell them 348, then it's the same as saying 359. They're just like, you're under four minutes. So it's, fu- <laughs> it's funny. But, so unless someone really cares about the sport, that it's sub four, sub four. But, I mean, it's still such a cool event. Yeah, just knowing how exponentially faster 340s really is than, than 359. And, and that makes me think, too, about uh, when Alan Webb broke the American mile record in that kind of dinky track meet in, in Europe. Um, yeah, where is like your favorite experience you've had of a really cool race? Maybe you ran well, maybe there was good competition, but it was just kind of off the grid, just um, Webb-esque from his American record. <laughs> Alan Webb and I are very different athletes. Um, <laughs> he was really good at time trials and running fast, but I think he kind of sucked at no, he didn't suck. He, he wasn't as strong in championship races. Uh, I mean, he made, he made a team one time, but I don't know. I, I only thrive when I can race other people. I never care about times. I never try and run fast because it just messes with you. But there was, a, there was a meet in Boston a couple years ago indoors where I, uh, I was right there. I don't know. A couple guys in the race ran 349, 350, and 351 for the mile. and I basically paced those guys for 1,550 meters of 1,609. And it sucked, but it was just cool to be in that race because someone else broke the world record in that meet and ran 347. You're right. Webb was maybe not as accomplished as a racer as he was as a time trialer. Yeah. Yeah. What, what you just said there about your Boston indoor experience, that is, that's going to lead me to my next one. We're going to go here with a combination of some questions I have and some, some listeners had as well. This is our lightning round. Keep it quick for you. Put you on the spot here for a minute, and I'll open with that one. When I think of Craig Ingalls on the track, I remember that 353.9 indoor mile at BU. What do you consider so far in your career your defining performance? In 2016 Olympic trials. And it sounds like from what you said earlier, that defined you in a way of it's a breakthrough. It's not I missed by a spot. This is exciting and just shows who I can be and what I can do. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, it was crazy. (laughs) You famously beat out Centro down the stretch at USA Champs last year. Uh, in Des Moines, and a fan tossed you a beer. What is your beverage of choice? Whatever is the cheapest. <laughs> uh, uh, spoken like a college sophomore. Well said, Craig. Bingo. <laughs> um, rank these three for me pancakes, waffles, French toast. French toast, pancakes, waffles. You're going French toast number one. Mm-hmm. I'm with you, dude. And I think it gets over, like, overlooked. Most people put it at the bottom of this list. I can't get enough of it. I love it, yeah. It's just hard. Dude. It sucks because it's hard to order French toast because it usually doesn't come with anything else. So it's just like it's a tough one to order at a restaurant. <laughs> 
Well, with that said, it, that's also an excuse to order a second breakfast with it for me. Do you got a favorite French toast that you've ever had? Is there a spot for you? No, I don't have a favorite spot, but I love it when they have like a cinnamon roll or cinnamon, like I love, I'm obsessed with cinnamon rolls. Mm. I, I'm and, with you on that too. And one of the grossest things I do, and <laughs> um, I hesitate to say it to the listeners. Oh, but, please, please say it, Craig. We love it. Say it. <laughs> I'll buy those tubes of cinnamon rolls. At, yeah, at you do. Stores, I do it too. And I eat them raw. <laughs> Hey, man, we knew it was coming as soon as you said the tube at the grocery store. We've done it. It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> let's go with that. Favorite food spot for you. Um, I'm going to take you three different places, okay? Your time in Raleigh, your time in Oxford, and now Portland. Can you give me one place from each? Like if I'm, in, I'm, I'm living life on the road, Craig Ingalls, vagabond style in an RV, and I stop through each of those cities, where's the one place in each that I need to stop for a meal? <laughs> All right, so in Raleigh, you got to go to Jasmine's Mediterranean. Mm. Very good. There's a bunch of them. It's a chain. Um, but I think it's local to Raleigh. And then in Oxford, Mississippi, crazy but the best Thai food I've ever had. Uh, oh. It's called either Pik Thai or Rice and Spice. There's two of them. Okay. And they also, they also have the best Chinese buffet ever, and it's called Chow King. <laughs> I who used to study in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, who would have suspected Oxford, Mississippi as such a capital of Asian cuisine? And I love that you studied in a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, Chinese buffet just to get my money's worth. Um, yeah, and and then in Portland, I'm I'm such a bargain guy. There's uh, an Indian buffet that's only eleven dollars on weekdays, and it's unbelievable. You can get after it a little bit in there. Yeah, I actually it's called Swagit. I forget. I think it's just called Swagit. It's really nice. Like right behind a Home Depot, where in a in like it looks like a house. <laughs> <laughs> go to home depot get some supplies to redo the van head over to swag it nail the buffet maybe come home for a tube of cinnamon rolls um okay you're teaming up with any other pro track athlete for a wwe tag team match who is on your side i'm thinking my boy henry win oh He's great. He's he's big. He's like six four. He's pretty good. Um, yeah, I'll go with him. Maybe Fred Curley. I don't know if a lot of listeners will know who he is, but he's he's also jacked. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great pick. Fred Curley <laughs> could probably end some lives in the <laughs> ring. Who would you challenge? All right, let's say it's you and Henry Wynn. Like, who is? It's kind of been under your skin for a little while, Craig. You just want to get it out here. Who are the two that you're saying, let's step inside the ropes and just see what happens? <laughs> Matt Centrowitz and oh, yeah. Jenny Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> now, careful. I've heard Jenny is feisty off the top rope. <laughs> but but no, the Centro one is great. I, I know you two have, have a really great relationship. And, and that was part of the beauty of, of last year you two dueling it out. So, so I'll end on a more serious note. 
what is a relationship and maybe mentorship to some degree with Centro meant to you? And what can you take from that that maybe you're going to pass forward to the next generation of runner who is a few years younger? Uh, I mean, that's a really deep question. <laughs> I'm not sure if Centro was ever the best mentor, but um, he, he was definitely someone to look at, like watch his races. I mean, he's the most tactically savage savvy person I think I've ever seen run the 1500 so uh watching him run has just taught me so much and um and everything and then I guess watching him poorly recover and make the wrong decisions has taught me what <laughs> not to do <laughs> wow yeah you know I, what you just said there about his tactics thinking about how he controlled that olympic final to win gold and there was a little bit of you, I thought, maybe turning the tables, learning that lesson from him in what you did last year at Des Moines, which was pretty cool to come full circle. An emotional ending there to our time together, Craig. Deep um, <laughs> insights. Man, it has been a lot of fun to talk with you. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope maybe maybe Sir Walter again down the road. Maybe we get to see you here in, in the Carolinas racing again soon. But if not, we will certainly be watching from afar and we wish you nothing but the best as, you know, Diamond League gets back on and all that stuff in 2020 and then next year as you head towards Tokyo. So, so best wishes, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and I'm excited to listen to the podcast and make sure I didn't say anything dumb. <laughs> I do it every week, dude. Don't even worry about it. And it, it, it was our pleasure. Uh, we'll talk to you soon, Craig. Take care, man. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Our thanks again to Craig for sharing of his time and talents. And thanks to you, our listeners, for providing some of the fun questions Craig answered. If you have show ideas, please contact us at secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow Craig on Instagram at Craigathor. Have a great week, and we will see you next time.